Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. Let's go to Alan in Arkansas and let's talk about growth versus value stocks. Today, um, I continued to take a beating, but um, it looked like some of the growth stocks did okay. I'm just wondering, you know, are there going to be days like this where, you know, sometimes the traditional growth uh, outbeat the, the value? Yeah, of course. And that's, that's, so, so many people are, are stuck in like a polarized environment and they think, oh, well, it's one or over the other. And that's certainly in, in, in general, over time, over this decade, that's going to be true. Value is likely to outperform. Invest Talk, over 40 million downloads and counting across America and around the world. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our April 25th. 2022 edition of Invest Talk. I am Justin Klein, coming from you, coming to you from beautiful Laguna Beach, California, and uh, it's, it's it's amazing outside right now. Uh, excited to be with you. Uh, what a time! So much, cra- so many crazy things happening in the world, in uh, the investment landscape, in the economy, geopolitics. All of it, to me, is always infinitely interesting. Uh, and I can talk about a million different things on today's show, but ultimately I'm here for you. I'm here to answer your finance and investment questions with unbiased answers and no hidden agenda. I'm here. I'm not here to push anything on you. I'm here to give you direction and give you a a way of thinking about your money and investment decisions that comes from a logical place, comes from weighing the uh, risk versus rewards, the pros and cons, and making sure that when you do make decisions, they're based in reality, not hope, not fear, not greed, not emotions. Okay. And in today's world, it's in a polarized uh, political environment, in a changing geopolitical environment, it can be difficult to weed out the emotions. You get a lot of data coming from social media, from friends and family. uh, And it's hard to sometimes take all of that and make good, consistent decisions. So it's kind of harder than ever. in, in, In some ways, now it's easier than ever as well because of data. But that data means that you have a lot of things to crunch, right? A lot of numbers to crunch, a lot of qualitative and quantitative data to understand and distill into smart decisions. And that's why I'm here to help you make sense of it all. And hopefully help you take that next step in your own version of financial freedom. 
Now, in this podcast, I'm going to operate with my mission statement, which is always independent thinking and shared success. So that's my assurance that no matter, matter what I'm talking about, the market as a whole, the economy, a particular stock or a sector or a strategy, I am here to present it all without bias, just give you the facts as I see them, a lot of data in front of me, like I said, but I also have 20 plus years of investment experience to understand what that data means and make sure that you have the tools to also do the same. So you can call and interact with me right now during our live stream program and ask your finance and investment questions. Now we're live four to five Pacific time, or you can leave a question anytime on our InvestTalk voice bank. Either way, the number never changes. So let's get right to our first listener question now. Hi, uh, I had a question about ChargePoint. Is it a good time to you know get in now, or would you recommend any competitors in that space, especially with you know Tesla also having you know playing in the same area? Thanks. Oh my goodness. Uh, it just, it tingles up my spine every time I get calls on, on these type of companies. These are not the companies you want to invest in. First off, it's a growth company, $5 billion market cap still, losing money, just going to decimate shareholders over time. And this is, it owns electric vehicle networks. And I think this is one of the worst type of, outside of uh, the, the, uh, the outer space stocks, right? Uh, all those uh, you know, Virgin Galactica and stuff like that uh, that are just so ec- uneconomical. I think those are probably worse, but close second are probably these charging networks. Uh, it just doesn't make economical sense. They earn very low returns on uh, the ones they do install. And so many people who are that are moving to electric they're charging at home. 60, 70% of charging happens at home. And so everyone thinks they're going to be like gas stations. Well, guess what? Nobody has a gas station in their home. I don't know anyone. I don't know about you guys. I don't know anyone that has their own gas station in their home. So they have to go to a gas station. I know everybody that has a wall plug in their home, in their garage. And yeah, you might have to retrofit a little bit, but it's not that expensive and uh, it's super easy. So I just don't see these as good investments. It's a great story, but a horrible investment. So if you're talking about this, to short it, sure. To buy it long, absolutely not. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this question. Why would investors beat up shares of companies that report decent earnings? Now, so far this earnings season, investors are in a downright bearish mood and punishing companies that report misses both on the top and bottom line or that look at future forecasts uh, more negatively. So we're going to look at that story and what earnings season has brought to the market so far today or, or this season. Also, I want to touch on a few other things. One is the Japanese yen. This is one of those stories that is being talked about, but it's not its not actually hitting for the front page news yet. But I have a feeling over the next few months, this will be front page news because remember, the Japanese yen is the third biggest traded currency in the world. And the fact that it is the worst performing currency out of 41 that the Wall Street Journal t- tracks is saying something. So we're going to look at that story. Next, 
ARC funds. Kathy Wood's flagship ARC fund is down 45% just this year. 45% just this year. But people are still putting money into it. Crazy. It just shows you there's still a lot of liquidity out there. People are not despondent yet when it comes to growth stocks. And that probably means more downside for growth stocks because they haven't thrown out everything. They're not given up on the trade. It's still in the hope phase. And we're going to look at that story a little deeper. And then lastly, if we have time, talk about central banks and the Fed and and why the Fed, why the central banks globally are kind of in this situation and how that might change in the future. Because I do think there is change in the offing when it comes to uh, how central banks operate, how our financial system system operates. And uh, I think it's going to be different in the future as we enter this inflationary world. So that's what's on my mind. But ultimately, I want to know what is on your mind. So give me a call, 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Now, let's check in the market today. The SP was up 24 points, about half a percent there. And it was really a reversal day. We closed, we opened lower uh, pretty significantly, hit major support, and bounced off of it. And, uh, you know, I think the last few days sell-off, uh, Thursday and Friday, a lot of it was driven Netflix, really falling out of bed. And they wiped a hundred plus billion dollars off of market caps. Well, what does that mean? Funds need to delever, and you saw that in the commodity space as well. Commodities got to pull back, and, or at least commodity stocks, the actual underlying commodities, didn't pull back very much at all for the most part. And I think that was uh, kind of a tell. It's like why, why would commodity stocks be down so much when the actual underlying commodity hasn't moved? much. Well, that means there's just forced selling out there. And I think uh, Netflix was a driver of that. And so you're getting a little bit of a rebound. Uh, so far, earnings season has been pretty decent. And we haven't broke down completely. We're definitely still in a major trading range. We've, we've been in for the past year. Uh, now, is it a broadening top? You could argue that. But we certainly uh, saved major support when we closed near the highs today. So uh, now, does this mean we rally into the Fed meeting next week? That's uh, just a little over a week away. And what they do with interest rates, we probably know they're going to raise 50 basis points. But what do they do with QE? That's ultimately going to be the most important thing. Or excuse me, not QE, QT, quantitative tightening. How much do they allow the balance sheet to shrink? And the market's going to have a reaction to that, bullish or bearish. Probably not going to sit idly by and, and be ho-hum. There's going to be some sort of reaction to it. Uh, so we'll see what that looks like next week. But that's really what I'm eyeing. Earnings season, interesting, yes, but next week, Fed meeting. Now, we have good news for Invest Talk listeners that enjoy hearing unbiased answers to our caller questions at a faster pace. We have just posted a new April rapid fire hour with 30 questions back to back to back to back to back. It's available now for free download on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or investtalk.com. And now the Invest Talk phone lines are open for you. So give us a call at 888 chart No two investors have an identical portfolio. So each investor will have different questions. I guess I'm wondering how I should kind of diversify. If the questions specific to your portfolio aren't being asked, your situation is not addressed. And I wanted your thoughts on the cannabis market. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein take Invest Talk listener questions each weekday during the program live stream in the 4 to 5 p.m. hour Pacific time. 
the Invest Talk Voice Bank never closes, so your questions are always welcome. As a newer investor, my question concerns positions. You have the right to remain silent, but why would you when anything you ask will be used to help you create your financial freedom? I think it'll probably go higher. And so I would keep a tight stop on it. So don't forget to call Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART. You've got a portfolio to grow and protect, and this is no time to lose focus. So get your finance and investment questions together and call Steve Peasley and Justin Klein. They're ready with their unbiased answers. Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART. Hi, Stephen Justin. This is Paul in Alabama. I had a question for you about Mosaic, stock ticker symbol MOS. I bought it. It's doubled in price since I bought it. I think in business sense, it can go a bit further. But as far as the stock price, I'm worried about it being a little bit overextended, even though it pulled back a bit. What's your advice? Should I hold on, sell some of it, buy a little bit more? Looking forward to your response. All right, looking at Mosaic, and this is a manufacturer of fertilizer sold worldwide, and that's what's really igniting the shares over recently. And earnings expectations for this year are set to be $12.11. That's up from $5.04 last year and $0.85 in 2020, only $0.18 pre-pandemic in 2019. So you can see that massive turnaround in their business in a short period of time. Now, what's driving this? Two words, natural gas. And I don't know if you know this, but about half of the world's fertilizer is synthetic meaning there is a process to uh, make the fertilizer out of different chemicals and a lot of the input, about two-thirds of the input, is natural gas into that, uh, into that artificial fertilizer. And the input cost here in the U.S. for natural gas is now a lot lower than it is around the world, say, in Europe. And so what this basically is a play on the difference in price between natural gas in Europe the U.S. versus natural gas abroad. And that's near record levels. And so these companies are just printing money and the stock's going higher because of it. And justifiably so. If they're making $12 a share this year, only a $63 stock, that's pretty low. The question is, can that be sustained? So this is just a play on that difference. Now, if the, if the war ends soon, these stocks are going to hit, getting a hit 20, 30%, probably in a short period of time. So this is really a geopolitical play at the end of the day, because if suddenly Russia, there's no, there's no threat of Russia or cutting Europe, Germany, especially cutting off natural gas imports from Russia, that's going to change the dynamic of the pricing within the market. Uh, so we still like it. I think that unfortunately, I think the war is going to continue. I think this is the, Kind of uh, in poker terms, I think Putin's pot committed. He's going to go and go and go until there's something that looks like a win. And so far, it's not the case. Now, could this be the reason for the the pullback over the past few days that this is the market pricing in a higher chance of a stopping of the war? That's certainly possible. Are they pricing in a weaker economy because of higher interest rates 
in a weaker asset market, that's certainly possible as well. Which one is it? If it's the former, well, Mosaic's probably going to go lower. If it's the latter, Mosaic's probably going to go back higher along with uh, the broad commodity uh, sector. So that's the big question. And I don't have that crystal ball, but that's a question you have to answer for yourself. Now we're moving into a break, and I'm not going anywhere. My phone lines are open for you. Your finance and investment questions are welcome. Right here on Invest Talk at 888 chart The markets react to uncertainty. Are you prepared? Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Your financial future depends on the answers to those questions. Justin Klein is here now and ready to talk with you. Call Invest Talk, 888 99Chart. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this question Why would investors beat up shares of companies that report decent earnings? Well, roughly 320 companies are still scheduled to deliver results, but that means uh, of the S&P 500, so that means 180 have delivered results already this earnings season. And what's interesting is that those that beat earnings, 79%, uh, they're not rising very much on that reaction. But those that miss, those 21% that miss on the top or bottom line or uh, disclose less than exciting full year forecasts, well, they're hitting them in a big, big way. Uh, let's look at uh, Netflix, for example. It was down 40% in a week. And the benchmark itself is down over the past three weeks during this, this earnings season. And most analysts are blaming hawkish Federal Reserve, and that's certainly true. But Q earnings have been fine overall. The yield curve has steepened. So you would think that the market should be up on that news uh, because that is saying the economy is going to be decent. And inflation, although still relatively high, is starting to flatten out, and that typically means the beginning of a decline uh, in inflation. Now, we have big earnings week this week. We have uh, Microsoft and Alphabet uh, tomorrow. You have Apple, Amazon, Twitter, Intel. Those are on Thursday. Coke is uh, was, was today. Let's see. What did Coke do today? Did it have a big reaction? No, not not very much. And then Pepsi uh, is also tomorrow, Kraft, Nestle. So there's some big earnings announcements set for this week. And uh, I think that will be the the more interesting um, more interesting ones. And, and like I said, we only have about 180 in. So still only about a third of those earnings reports have come out. Uh, but ultimately, it's going to be about next week and the Fed announcement and whether or not the market accepts the level of balance sheet contraction. That's what they're going to announce. It's just a matter of what is that pace and is the market comfortable with that? Let's go to Alan in Arkansas and let's talk about growth versus value stocks. Yeah. So today um, I continued to take a beating, but um, it looked like some of the growth stocks did okay. I'm just Mm -hmm. wondering, you know, are there going to be days like this where you know, sometimes the traditional growth uh, out beat the, the value. Yeah, of course, and that's that's so. So many people are are stuck in like a polarized environment, and they think, oh well, it's one or over the other, and that's certainly 
in, in, in general, over time, over this decade, that's going to be true. Value is likely to outperform. We've just started uh, the reversal of this trend that really was 14 years of growth over value in an environment where interest rates were continuously lower, low, 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 right? And that was beneficial. It was a beneficial environment for growth stocks that has reversed. Okay. Does that mean there can't be months, quarters, even, even years? There's not every single year of, t- of the 2020s is value going to outperform. It's just not. It's just, it's never like that. It's just like over the past 14 years before uh, COVID, uh, there were a few, you know, a handful of years, two or three years where value outperformed. But in general, growth was outperforming. So in a day like today, where you saw the 10 year down eight basis points, well, when interest rates are lower, that's going to be a beneficial thing for growth stocks. And, you know, they were kind of oversold. That's certainly true. Um, and when you get that down moving rates, you're going to get uh, growth stocks with, with a tailwind. So don't expect it to be every single day value is going to outperform growth. Uh, it's not going to be like that. It's never like that. No matter how, what type of environment you are, there's always oscillating in some days. It, it kind of bucks the trend. Um, but overall, it's about getting the longer term trend right. That makes sense, Alan? Yes, and we appreciate you. No problem. Thanks for the call. Yeah, it's... It's difficult. You know, I, I try to, this is what I'm here to coach you through this process. And we are, we are emotional beings. So you have to fight. You have to fight the emotions that are going to naturally come. And especially in a time where politics, unfortunately, come into this. And politics, the ultimate emotional gain. The number one way that people inflict their or, or insert their emotions, excuse me, into the decision making process, become tribalistic, just in our human nature. And so people fall in love with stocks, they fall in love with storylines, they fall in love with asset classes and, and, and types of ways to invest. But it's not about that. It's not about being right. It's about making money. Who cares if the world moves in the way that you want it to? You don't have control over that. What you do have control over is making sense of what the world really is and investing accordingly. So hope that helped. Now, the next and best talk, this story. Oil is falling and analysts are backing off their super high predictions. We saw oil drop below $98 a barrel and market watchers have a theory as to why. Maybe the SPR release? But are they right? Steve's going to get to that story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach 
involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This is Invest Talk. Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Is it delivering the types of gains you want and need to achieve financial freedom? Well, turn up the volume because there are many questions that deserve unbiased answers. And Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your calls live. 888-99-CHART. Hey, Stephen, Justin. This is Tarun. I'm calling from the Bay Area. Thanks for the show. I wanted to get your guys' take on Williams Sonoma, ticker symbol WSM. I'm looking to start a position primarily for the dividend yield that the stock gives, and also because it looks like it, it's at, um, I think, a five-year or a 10-year uh, low PE, and the financials and everything else looks good for the company, in my opinion. So just wanted to get your guys' take on it, if it is a good time to buy and start a, start a position in this holding. Thank you, and you have a good day. All right, looking at William Sonoma, and they operate 581 home furnishing stores in 42 states. And COVID has been good to that. Earned nearly $5 a share in 2020 and $9.05 in 2021. And then $14.85 last year, their, their fiscal year 2022 looks to be over already. And this year, it's supposed to make $15.30. So while growth is slowing down to the low single digits, uh, it's still at a a pretty a pretty healthy clip. Now the question is, will they be able to keep the supply chain moving? Like uh, it looks like they have, and that has pushed uh, earnings up dramatically. Their margins up, uh, and then will the demand for their products continue as uh, the housing market cools? 
and as maybe equity markets don't go up like they did last year. And that's the big question. Now, long term, I like their profitability. Return equity tends to average in the mid 20% range, even pre-COVID. So I like that. Free cash flow trailing 12 months is about a billion one, and it's a $10 billion market cap. So that yield is pretty good, uh, free cash flow yield. The question, once again, is how sustainable is that? Pre-COVID, it was around the three to 400 million mark. And is it going to trend back towards that? That's that's really the question. If it does, then this stock's overvalued. If it can stay at least in you know close to this billion dollar mark, then it's probably pretty cheap. So that's your big question. Uh, now you talked about the dividend. What I liked is you want the dividend, but their dividend isn't huge. Two point two percent dividend yield, which is solid, but you're not reaching there. And I like that. I like that somebody's looking at two point two and saying that's enough for me. I'm not you know I, I want dividend growth. I want a good value. I want a good company. And I'm going to say, yes, this is a, uh, this is solid. I'm going to give William Sonoma a thumbs up. Now it is technically it's not amazing, uh, but it's starting to, to turn a little bit. Um, so I like William Sonoma. I like the long-term profitability. I do think they're probably over earning a little bit in the near term, but it's cheap enough to where just a modest, uh, you know, even a, a decent decline in earnings is still going to leave it in a uh, relatively undervalued situation. And enterprise value to EBITDA currently is at 5.2, 5.2. It's average over the last five years is 7.8. So it's, uh, it's under that and uh, it's low is about three and a half. So pretty close to that. And so I'm going to give William Sonoma a thumbs up. Thanks for the call. Let's touch a little bit on the Japanese yen. And the yen has now dropped to a 20 year low versus the dollar. And a lot of people say, oh, currencies, that's kind of boring. What you have to realize, though, is currencies are extremely important to financial institutions, to geopolitical or trade in general, uh, and our global financial security. And when markets are rallying, the yen tends to weaken. And when the market gets more turbulent, like it has so far this year, the yen tends to go up. Well, what's interesting now is this dynamic has changed. In fact, the yen is down 12% against the dollar this year. And makes it the worst performing currency out of 41 that the Wall Street Journal tracks. Even more than the Russian ruble, Turkish lira, both countries that are in geopolitical turmoil. And like I said at the top of the show, the yen is the third most traded currency in the world. And this could this is kind of coming in a bad time. And you're seeing it in, in yields on treasuries. And the reason is because Japan is usually a big buyer of U.S. Treasuries. And in a time where QE is over, the Fed is talking about doing QT. Now, that might not be with Treasuries. It might be only with mortgage-backed securities. Uh, but we're still running huge deficits, smaller than they were you know, during COVID, but still very large, higher than post-COVID or pre-COVID, excuse me. And it means that we need foreigners to buy our assets. If the Fed isn't setting, setting in and doing that, they're not coming in and buying those treasuries. Now, when the yen weakens, Japanese investors need to uh, hedge against currency risk. And that's typically what Japanese investors are doing, is they are buying treasuries and they're hedging against 
currency fluctuation. Well, what's happened as of late is that although the 10 year and the 10 year US Treasury yield about 2.9 and the 10 year Japanese JGB rate is only 0.25. That's a huge difference. And that's a big reason why the dollar is stronger than the yen. And what's happening now is the cost of that currency hedging makes the difference once you factor in the hedging costs, not very much. And so it might look like, hey, you want to go in there and buy these, these Japanese investors want to go out and buy US treasuries. Not so much, not as much as you would expect. And so what's happening now is actually a lot of Japanese investors are selling US treasuries. In fact, banks, insurers and other institutions dumped tens of billions of dollars of US bonds at the end of their fiscal year, which was the first quarter. And that was a big reason why rates went up dramatically. And you saw this, especially during Asian trading hours when, J when Japan was open. And conversely, when interest rates went up, stocks went down. So that was a big driver of higher yields. Now, hedge funds are still betting, betting heavily on the yen falling further. And net positions against the yen hit the highest level in more than three years. And the big question is, what is the Japanese central bank going to do about it? Are they going to step in? Well, inflation still isn't very high in Japan. And so they don't have a lot of reason to raise interest. That's one reason, one way they could stop the decline is saying, we're not going to peg it at 0.25%. We're going to peg it at 0.5%. That means they need to print less yen to keep that peg, keep that yield curve um, control. Will they do that? Well, if there's no real pressure to with inflation so low. Remember, Japan is a horrible demographic situation, very old society. And so that's one big reason why inflation has never really gone up over there. The next thing would be if it breaks some sort of something in the financial system and there's geopolitical pressure for them to stop the decline of the yen. And I think that would be the big reason for a yen rally is if, hey, they're saying you're causing too many problems. There's a big hedge fund blow up, a big bank blow up. Uh, remember, there's a lot of leverage in the system. And if you are exposed to a declining yen, that can cause some sort of a margin call, some sort of liquidation of assets. And that would be, I think that's a risk that nobody's really talking about. And probably the biggest risk I see in the market right now. Now let's go to Chris in Walnut Creek. He wants to talk about covered calls. Hi. Um, yeah, I'm interested in um, uh, getting a position in uh, one of the covered call ETFs. And I was mm -hmm. wondering uh, what your thoughts are on the on those particular ETFs, if there's any risks that I'm not really aware of or something, you know? Uh, well, the risk is really in the underlying, what you're owning, okay? Now, there are some, there's a handful of covered call ETFs. I don't know which one you're, you're actually looking at. Uh, but when you're looking uh, at, we, we run a covered call strategy, Equity Income Plus, it's, it's been great. Um, but it's only as good as the underlying positions because you could write a covered call on a, a stock and if it goes down 50%, the call is going to hedge you a little bit, but not very much, right? Uh, but really what covered calls do is it levels out the volatility. Uh, it smooths out 
some volatility. Now, it's still higher risk than a bond, for example. But it's just uh, it's limiting a bit on the, do- on the upside, and it's smoothing out the volatility on the downside. And so there's nothing wrong with having it as a part of your portfolio. Uh, but I wouldn't own, for example, something with the Q's, NASDAQ cover call strategy, because you're just heavily weighted towards tech names. And as you see with Netflix, you know, you could own Netflix, write a cover call on it, might hedge you through two, three, four percent of the downside, but it went down 40% in a week. Great. I'd rather own an oil name, write a cover call on it, capture 10% of the upside, maybe it limits you a bit, but you're not having these, you know, 40% drawdowns in a week. So the underlying asset matters the most. Okay. And that's how you have to look at it. And don't be chasing yield. This isn't about yield. It's about a strategy to lower your risk profile overall. And over time, selling those call premiums actually boosts return. Statistics have shown if you do it right, you do it the right way, you roll those, uh, you roll those premiums, it boosts returns done it for us. But it's not a panacea. It's not going to make up for bad stock picking, bad uh, underlying assets. It's not. Thanks for the call, Chris. 8899 chart, 8892 4278. Let's uh, segue right into a good example of this. ARK, uh, ARKK, it's down 45% so far this year, 21% in April alone. And a lot of that's due with, hey, yields went up. Now, the biggest holdings, Tesla, which is only down modestly for the year, but things like Zoom, Roku, Teladoc, Coinbase, those are our top holdings. All except for Tesla are down more than 35% this year. The NASDAQ as a whole, down 18%. And ARC fell 24% last year, even though the SP was up 27. And now down another 45 this year. But what's interesting is you would think that people have given up on the trade. Uh-uh. Investors have put $658 million, new money, into this fund this year. And they're justifying it by saying, hey, they're investing in the future. They're investing in companies that are going to be part of our lives for a long time. Problem is, is that's not an investment thesis. Just because a company is around doesn't mean that they're a good investment. If their business is uneconomical, that doesn't earn an excess return of capital, that doesn't earn free cash flow and earnings over time, that their only way they're staying in business is issuing more shares, that's not good for the shareholder. It's not a company you want to be invested in. Now, what has Kathy Wood done after this horrible last 18 months? Has she changed her tune? Has she adjusted her strategy? No, she's just doubling down. In fact, she's doing the even worse. A year ago, she held 60 holdings. Now she only has 35, making it more concentrated, 
and more susceptible to downside. Roku down 57% this year, Zoom down 46, Coinbase down 48, Teladoc down 37. And people are still piling money into it. So what does that tell you about sentiment within these type of names? Sentiment's just fine. When to buy growth stocks? When the sentiment is not fine, when everybody hates them, they're sick and tired of losing money, and they think that the stories are over. We're not there yet, clearly, because people are still piling money in. Now, here comes another caller question. We get this topic a lot lately. This one came in from Switzerland. Hey, guys. It's Marco from Switzerland. Long-time listener since about two years. I wanted to ask you about PayPal. It dropped dramatically from 300 to 100, and now it's below 80. It's not below 80, it's uh, 88, 85. I would like your opinion on the stock and the outlook for it. I know there is a drop on uh, user subscriptions. I'll be looking on the podcast. Thanks, guys. All right, looking at PayPal. And uh, this has been a sharp decline down 71% from the 52 week high. Remember I always said a lot of these type of, uh, in, it, you know, when stocks are in just bubble territory and they burst, typically down 80, 90%. So we're not there yet. And you say, well, down 71%. Well, you still need to go down another 30 bucks to get to, you know, down into the fifties for this to get to, uh, you know, 80%, I guess 60, there you go. Yeah, because it peaked at, $310 per share. So to go down 80%, you need to get to 62, the 87 now. Um, and then momentum remains down. Now, long-term, do I think it's a pretty decent uh, valuation? Sure. But when a stock is technically in a strong downtrend, the underlying economic backdrop is poor for those these type of companies. And the valuation is just kind of decent, I don't get excited about it yet. It's not rock bottom prices. Sentiment isn't washed out yet. And I'm not seeing a big spike in volume. And that's what I'm waiting for to really be a big buyer at PayPal. Now this is InvestTalk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here is to help you achieve your, your own version of financial freedom. We're going into our final break. So give me a call now at 888-99-CHART. Have you heard about Riskalyzed? It's a brief question and answer form that you fill out online. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein will also get a copy of your responses. They can use the Riskalyzed results to help you formulate a strategy that fits your investing risk tolerance. Learn more anytime and take the Riskalyzed quiz at investtalk.com. Well, Steve and Justin, my name is Carlos from Los Angeles. I have a quick question. When you're looking at charts, which indicators do you guys uh, go by? And a question for Justin about options. When you're looking at options, how do you determine which option, uh, in this case, put option? Do you see the open interest? Do you look at volume, expiration date? What do you look at in that case to decide which option do you choose in purchase? Uh, thank you so much. All right, now when we're looking at charts, uh, a few indicators, MACD, uh, which is kind of a, a standard one, 
I also use uh, relative strength indicator as well as what I call what is called um, Williams percent R, which is kind of an overbought and oversold indicator. So those are kind of the the main ones. Now nothing will replace the price indicator, meaning what is price momentum doing. Uh, what our moving average is doing, which is based on price, etc. So you want to use those most of all, but these, some indicators can, can certainly help understand whether things are oversold, overbought, or momentum slowing, or momentum's accelerating. So uh, those are some good ones. Now, when it comes to options, the general rule is when you're buying options, you want to go out farther in time. Uh, I want to go out at least six months, ideally probably nine to 12 months, for my thesis to completely play out because you don't know when it's going to play out and you're still going to get nice leverage if you're buying a year out because you remember you want you want to buy time for that to appreciate or depreciate if you're buying a put for example now if you're selling an option then you want to have it shorter selling puts selling calls you want that decline in intrinsic value to uh happen quicker um so you want to be selling short and then when it comes to price that's more technical uh you want to look at support resistance levels if you're uh, if you're buying an option you probably want to get it closer to the money and if you are selling an option you want that further out of the money thanks for the call now let's pivot to an iTunes review question. One Zoo Fam says, when buying call bo corporate bonds, if bonds get called, what price do you get? And is it the full price or the full 100? And this is a great question. A lot of people don't understand this. And, uh, call option, there are call options on bonds. There's even put options on bonds. And they're usually calls. And what this is, is if a company is borrowing money, let's say they're borrowing money for seven years, this is seven-year uh, duration of the bond, there are often call options on that bond, meaning in three years, they can say, okay, we can refinance at maybe a lower rate and repay those old bondholders, now uh, issue new bonds, and we are going to uh, lower our interest costs and you pay back those old bondholders. Well, you're going to pay they're the, the company's going to pay par, so 100. Sometimes there's also a premium to that. I mean, they buy it back at 101, 102, 103, something like that. Uh to and that's part of the original agreement and how these bonds are are issued. And it's kind of a, a little incentive to say, "Hey, yeah, you might get called, but you're going to get called at a premium. You're going to get your interest over that time, and then you're going to get a nice infusion of you know two or three percent above the par value uh, if it does get called. And so, yeah, it's not at the current market price. It's it's whatever the the call option stipulates. And remember, bonds are are can be structured in a lot of different ways." Loading rates, uh, zero coupon, etc. So it's just how it's laid out in the prospectus. And so you want to read that. So you can't blanket everything one way or another. Um, but in general, that's kind of how it works. And so if you're buying corporate bonds individually, which I do recommend, we do do that for clients, you want to be looking at the prospectus and understanding exactly what that callable bond means, especially if it does get called. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. Now over 41 million, thanks to you. 
Get your Invest Talk podcast anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and be sure to rate and review on iTunes. And if you leave your question with your review, we will prioritize your answer. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, Call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listening line at 888-99-CHART. <laughs>